No matter um, how great the vacation, no matter how exotic the destination, no matter how entertaining uh, or extraordinary the sights, no matter how relaxing the time, uh, there is nothing quite like coming home at the end of vacation, right? At the end of a long journey. Um, for, for us, and maybe uh, Natalie will recognize this, it was coming into Nebraska on the, the interstate, because there's only one, um, on the 80, going across and coming to Lincoln, finally finding the exit for, uh, that will take us to 84th Street and driving south a few miles. We're yawning at this point if we're not already sleeping. And we turn the corner and we see the, uh, is this working? The driveway coming. Um, and we pull up and there's the driveway. Uh, that's actually it. Thanks to Google, a little creepy, um, but also really cool that Google can provide us with uh, with this kind of thing. So uh, the driveway, and this would be the point where we would turn in, and we're so excited to be home, and the garage door goes up, and my dad would drive in and forget that the bikes were on top of the car. So, so I guess even a homecoming can have some some downsides, but but yeah, really. Nothing, once we got over that, nothing quite like home, 400 Sycamore Drive, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing quite like, like coming home. Where, where is Natalie? I've been looking out trying to scan everything, right? See, this is it. Thank you, Google. That's kind of weird, but um, yeah, nothing quite like coming, coming home. They say uh, home is where your heart is, right? Uh, or like Dorothy and Toto. Uh, there's no place like home. Home is where you hang your hat, whatever. And home, you notice, right, isn't necessarily where you live. Becky and I are, are getting to go up to, to Portland next weekend uh, for a couple of days, see my mom. And I keep catching myself saying, we're going home for the weekend. Um, I've never lived in Portland, ever. Um, my grandparents, though, have lived there as long as I can remember. So as a pastor's kid, as we move from place to place, from state to state, we were always going back to Grandpa and Grandma's house in Portland. So now that my mom lives there, it's very easy to think, that's home. Uh, home is that place. As Robert Frost put it, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to let you in, right? <laughs> There's something, something about coming home. But also, these days, uh, there's, there's an opposite, opposite experience that we know too well also, right? Um, there's also being forced to leave home. Too, too many of us are familiar with uh, one of these signs, right? Um, yeah, way too many people around the country are familiar with that. And then sometimes what follows that is this one, and you truly are, you know, leaving, leaving your home, joining what is, and this is, this is surprising to me, um, in, in the country during a given year. And this is including people for whom it may be temporary, maybe a week or two or three, but during any year, given year in the last decade or so in this country, 3.5 million people experience homelessness, whether it's permanent or for a couple of years. But 3.5 million people experience what it's like to not have a home to go to. 10,000 right here in, in our city of San Diego. Or if you've been watching the news, boy, there are other ways that people are, are moved out of home. Over 25 million people in the world are either refugees or displaced from their homes based on a few things. If you've been watching this week, you know that in Somalia, people are flocking across the borders into Kenya and Ethiopia um, because of the worst drought 
and hunger in uh, 60 years in that part of Africa. Um, hundreds of thousands going across the border, set up in camps where they will now stay um, far away from home for reasons that they had no control over. War, of course, is the high... If uh, Somalia is one of the biggest, um, the, the country with the most number of refugees leaving and going to other countries, there are only two more countries bigger than Somalia, and you would, you would guess they are indeed Afghanistan and Iran. Because war, devastating a country produces refugees, people who leave home because their home is just not a place that they can be anymore. So all over the world, people moving away from home, looking for a home. And it's, it, it, was, uh, it was war, that reason, that describes the experience of the people of Israel uh, that we read so much of in the Bible. Um, well, we'll get to that psalm in a second, but in, and if you know the Bible story well, this is one of the central stories of the Bible that ends up shaping much of what we have in 587 B.C. Finally, there were some uprisings in, in the little land of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel has already been dispersed, so there is this little kingdom of Judah left. Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar are the empire of the day. And uh, finally, they get tired of Judah and decide to complete their attack on Judah. The armies come in, the empire comes in, destroys Jerusalem, raises Solomon's temple to the ground, and carries off the people into a foreign land. As we can only begin to imagine, this is a crisis on every conceivable level for these people. Not least of which is faith and and their understanding of existence and of God, right? I mean, their homeland, their home was this land that had been promised to them. This was their prized possession given to them by God. And now they were forced away from home to be exiles in another land. And of course, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, the poets, and the theologians of Israel wrestled with this experience. How can we be away from home? Where is the home God promised us? They came to understand that what happened was this exile was the consequences of Israel failing to live up to what God had called them to be. The light of justice and righteousness to all its neighbors. Abraham had gotten the promise from God, I will bless you if you will be a blessing to the world. They hadn't done it. And here they found themselves in exile. And it's in that story, that context, that experience, that we get what is both one of my favorite psalms of the, of the 150 and also uh, one of my least favorite, 137. And the words will be on the screen from the... Uh, Today's New International Version, if you want to look in your Bibles and the pews, Psalm 137. And this is one of those psalms, again, as we've gone through over and over, poignant, filled with emotion and and experience. Um, Again, it talks about certain things, but remember all 150 of these psalms were put together because they became the songbook, the prayer book of the people of Israel. So these happened in worship. Imagine that too as we, as we hear this. But this is how it goes. Let's just read through uh, the first few verses here. By the rivers of Babylon, these are people now away from home, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, our home. There on the poplars we hung our harps, 
For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. And they, they said, sing us one of your songs of Zion. And we said, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And I don't know why, but this, this psalm gets me. It's, it's, it's powerful. Um, and maybe it's that bit of me that's a musician knowing that, you know, you don't just do music on command. Someone says, hey, write us a song, sing us a song. You know, it, it doesn't happen. The artist, right, is, is the emotional kind of person. They have to be inspired. They have to be filled with some kind of joy or experience. But when someone says, hey, sing one of your God songs, and they say, we can't sing these in a foreign land. Our home, it's gone. It's far away. So they continue, if, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill, probably of playing the harp. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Again, words of longing for home. We promise not to forget. How can we sing songs here surrounded by Babylonians far from home? So this half of the psalm, one of my favorite of all the psalms, and now it's going to take a turn to why it's one of my least favorite of all the psalms, because this is tough stuff as they continue. Very real, very authentic, and raw. Verse 7. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did. The children of Esau, their brothers, cousins, really, did on the day Jerusalem fell. So as they watched Jerusalem fell, they said, tear it down, tear it down to its foundations, celebrating as they watched Jerusalem fall. And so they say, daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy are those, or blessed are those, who repay you according to what you have done to us. Happy are those who seize your infants and dash them against the rocks. The end. (laughs) It's the end of the psalm. That is uh, some poignant language, some heavy language. And it's hard. I honestly don't know what to do when I get to this part of the psalm. I mean, this is as, as violent and as vengeful as it gets, right? Uh, this is not just get the soldiers back that you know, came and this is take their babies. It's a, tough, it's a tough psalm at this point. What do we do with this? Um, you know, this is very different than the blessed beatitudes of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you know, the peacemakers, those who mourn. This is blessed are those who do those things. Wow. Very different. What do we do with this? Certainly, you know, this is not an example in the Bible of something that we strive to and live up to, right, and follow after. I think, really, as I wrestle with this, the best thing is to let it be what it is. And that is another, in the Psalms, very real, very raw, very authentic expression of how these people felt. And recognize maybe the one glimmer of goodness here is that They're doing this in prayer to God, which is the only place I can think of that is appropriate to express honestly that kind of feeling. If there's any place, it's in prayer to God. God can handle it, and God can also take it and help us in a better direction, right? So maybe we just leave it there as it is. But certainly, if anything, an expression of deep, deep longing and sadness and despair as they are far from home. They want to go home. How can we sing our songs when we're so far from home? There is in the human heart a longing for home, don't you think? 
in every one of us, isn't there some kind of longing for home, the place that is right, the place that is embracing, a sense that there's also a sense we're not home right now, right? We're not where we're meant to be. Every one of us experience that. On a personal level, we experience it in many ways, right? There is a sense that Life sometimes just doesn't add up. We don't feel home. We feel strangers. We feel we're on a journey that hasn't ended. There must be more than this. People every day experience literal longing for home, right? The people we talked about all over the world who experience not having a home and people go through that. There's even a bit of nostalgia, I think, collective nostalgia in, a thing, in something like a church, maybe. Well, remember, we, we, if you hear people say, remember the good old days uh, when things were better? Uh, society, sometimes we, we say this, remember, uh, remember the good old days when everybody was in church and our society was so wholesome and good and you turn on the TV and we forget, you know, never mind the rampant racism going through the country and never mind um, the fear of diseases that were uh, going all over the place. Never mind the, the frightful work conditions. Who was re- Tom was reading that book that was talking about it. All oh, the good old days. If we could only go back, back to those. But we have you know this longing for something else. Times past or times future. Somehow we don't feel at home. We wish there were something, something more. That things were better. Sometimes. Maybe we can relate to this psalm a little bit because that, that frustration, that angst in longing for something else sometimes comes up in anger or bitterness and we find someone to be mad at, someone to blame for what we're going through. Uh, it, it's your fault that we feel like exiles. You're the ones causing all these problems. We do that sometimes too. But we all experience, I think, a longing for home. What's interesting is that this psalm stands by itself on one hand and says some amazing things. A deep longing for home, uh, an anger and desire for vengeance, but it is not alone in the whole Bible, right? There is plenty else. And here's one of the amazing answers that these people of Israel get. Let's go to Jeremiah. We're going to do a little skipping around in the Bible today. Jeremiah chapter 29. Um, If you have an NIV, I I can't remember what the, the Pew Bibles say, but if you have an NIV, this section, chapter 29 of Jeremiah, is actually called a letter to the exiles. So this is a you know a letter sent through the prophet Jeremiah to the people uh, who are living in exile. The very ones writing these uh, these amazing psalms, and this is news from God through the prophet Jeremiah. Here's how it starts: verse four of Jeremiah twenty-nine. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So the people receive this letter and say, aha, finally, a word from God. We've been wondering, where is God in all of this, in our exile? Let's hear what God has to say to us. They're probably filled with anticipation, maybe excitement. And this is the message in verse five. Build houses and settle down in Babylon. Plant gardens and eat what those gardens produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. This is not going as the people had had hoped. And finally, verse 7. 
also. Remember those people you were just giving blessings of you know, babies and that kind of stuff? Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Imagine receiving this letter from the prophet Jeremiah. No wonder this guy wasn't a popular prophet, right? To people in exile longing for a word from God that they will be going home soon, Jeremiah brings the message, settle down, build houses, because you're not going anywhere for a while. And while you're there, pray and work for the well-being of this city, Babylon, who has carried you off forcibly into its land. A tough message from the prophet Jeremiah to these people. Imagine hearing this so much for running to the hills and watching Babylon burn, which is what they were all hoping for. And of course, God's message in this beautiful chapter continues with the part that we usually go to in 29, which is beautiful, but it needs this context. Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, which is like two generations for these people, for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm. Plans to give you hope and a future. So here's that beautiful message of God. I have plans for you and it is plans for a homecoming. I promise you, but not yet. In the meantime, settle into the city Pray and work for its well-being because its well-being is tied to your well-being. But there will be a homecoming. Isaiah the prophet talks about this homecoming like this. 55 verse 12. You shall go out in joy. You shall be led back in peace. We hear this sometimes in isolation. This is, you're going home. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. So this is a message that there will be a homecoming to these people. There is hope. Someday God will return the people to home with a capital H. But it may look different than what the people had hoped for. And in the meantime, their job is to stay put, to pray and work for the well-being of the city. All the while not forgetting that indeed there is a home that is being prepared for them. Some of you may have seen this week uh, news in the Christian world. John Stott, uh, a giant in especially the evangelical world, but respected throughout the Christian church. Many of you have read his commentaries, I think, on John and other books. He passed away at 90 years old this week. And uh, just beautiful memories. We don't know him in this country quite as well, but he would be the English equivalent of Billy Graham, uh, known around the world as sort of the giant of Christian faith. Where Billy Graham could preach sermons that stirred hearts, he writes books that stirs people's minds and hearts. He will be, he will be missed. There was a, uh, an article in the New York Times talking about him, and it was, it was quite complimentary, calling him uh, a citizen of the world who cared not, not only, and they went on to describe, he cared not only about the internal world of Christianity and writing his books, but he cared about all kinds of things. He cared deeply about global poverty and invested much of his life in those parts of the world. He cared about economics and culture and the arts. Why? John Stott kind of lays it out 
in a beautiful way in his commentary on the book of Ephesians. I told you we'd be going through, through the Bible today. In his commentary on Ephesians, and this is kind of talking about the letter as a whole, one of the themes that he brings out is how we as Christians, he said this is what Paul is t- telling to these young baby Christians in Ephesus, you as followers of Jesus have dual addresses, he said. You live both in Christ and in Ephesus. In other words, you are citizens, as Jesus put it, as the kingdom of God and you're citizens of Ephesus, of, of this world. And he said, here's what Paul is trying to say in Ephesians. We must live fully in both of those worlds. It's easy as Christians for us to kind of sway to one side or the other. Sometimes we become so thoroughly enamored with the, the stuff of this world that we forget our longing for home. Our longing for a true home that comes in, in the heart of God or in God's new creation. We, we can't even sing that beautiful poem about Babylon because we've lost that longing. We don't have the, the emotion of that psalm. But sometimes we can also become so preoccupied with kind of the nostalgia of wishing we were somewhere else and things were better and heaven is coming, our imagined heaven that we forget to pray and to work for the well-being of the city that God has put us in. We can go one or other of those two ways. And the challenge is to live with both. One more Bible text is Hebrews. John Stott also talks about this one. Hebrews 11, a famous chapter. Verses 13 through 16. Remember, this, uh, this is where the author of Hebrews has talked about all these heroes of faith. And he finally says this about them. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things that have been promised. This is a key statement from the author of Hebrews, that all these incredible heroes of faith, Abraham and all the rest, lived by faith. God had promised something and they kept living and it never came all the way true before they died. They never saw it completed. They only saw these signs and welcomed them from a distance. They had vision for what God was promising in the future. And they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own, another country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. So much like the, uh, the Israelites or Lot's wife were looking back to the place they left, they would have that chance. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. And here, again, the author of Hebrews is laying out this vision that in the world we live in, in our life, indeed, we are to keep a longing burning in our hearts for something more. It is the heavenly city, God's country, God's new creation. We are to keep that burning and we are to still keep two feet on the ground, looking around, knowing what's going on in our world and being effective in it. This is a difficult challenge of the Christian life, probably the hardest one to balance being filled with a longing for our heavenly home and being thoroughly aware of the world in which we live. 
But here's the secret, and this is what we, uh, what we close with, that we can learn about the Christian life. We learn it from, appropriately, from Jesus. Remember the Gospels write that Jesus came preaching the following. Repent, be baptized, for the kingdom of God is what? The kingdom of God is this heavenly place that's so far off, someday we'll get there if we can all escape this place. <laughs> Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. Everywhere Jesus went, there the kingdom of God was breaking in. Remember some of the, the things he said. Uh, he taught it, it's like a mustard seed that gets into a garden. And it's small, but it begins to sprout and flower and move all around. And pretty soon it envelops that whole garden. He said the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast that when it's lodged inside a pile of dough, it grows and spread and expands. And pretty soon it affects that whole pile of dough. The kingdom of God, Jesus insisted, is found among the exiles the displaced, those without homes to lay their heads. Remember what Jesus said? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Come, leave your nets, leave your homes and follow Me. Go on the road, on the journey with Jesus. Who are my mother and brothers? Jesus asked. Who's my family? Let me show you. These disciples who do God's will, these are my family. Jesus went through his life, his short life, through his ministry and through the world, creating a new family. He offered and offers a welcome into a new family, a new home, a new place to belong. And it's one that gives you sort of two passports one in the kingdom of God, one in this world, and we hold those closely together. It gives us, a, it, it fills that longing for home when we join into the family that Jesus is offering. It's wide open for all those who have been left out of homes and families and everything else. It looks a little bit like this, and I have to, let's wrap up with this quote from uh, Frederick Beekner, who is a, a, who is a pastor and writer and, and an amazing person. He says this, it's a little, little lengthy, so, so listen carefully. We carry inside us a vision of wholeness that we sense is our true home that beckons us, right? Inside all of us is a longing for something more, for wholeness, for home. But he adds, woe to us if we forget the homeless ones who have no vote, no power, no, nobody to lobby for them, who might as well have no faces. Woe to us if we forget our own homelessness because to be homeless the way that people like you and I are apt to be homeless is to probably, and see if this sounds familiar to you, to have homes all over the place, but to not really be home in any of those places. To be really at home is to be at peace. And our lives are so intricately interwoven with each other that there can be no peace for any of us until there is real peace for all of us, says Frederick Beekner in his book, Longing for Home. That's the Old Testament vision of shalom we've mentioned several times. Until there's wholeness among all of us, we cannot ourselves find wholeness. So for those of us who have chosen in our lives to follow a homeless Nazarene carpenter, <laughs> the son of God who descended to pitch his tent and dwell 
among us. We are called to live between homes. We're called to travel lightly, probably more like pilgrims or even refugees than to just sort of be settled and comfortable in our world. Because the real comfort, the real assurance that we long for is that when we do that, when we are traveling lightly, when we are seeking for the well-being of those around us, we are joining a family. We are finding a true home with God through Jesus. As we pray and work for the well-being of this city, we are providing a foretaste for people and for us of the new city. The heavenly city, what Revelation calls the new Jerusalem, which will someday come out of heaven and descend down here and God will finally make His dwelling place here and creation will be restored and made so new it will be a new creation. And God will be with us and we will be with Him and we will be home. So may that day come soon. And while we wait, may we, like the closing hymn for today, sing a song of cheer. May we do the work of Jesus. And may we smooth the path for some weary, wayworn feet. Because in a little while, we're going home.